and welcome to Addicted to Murder. This is Courtney, licensed therapist with over 10 years of experience. And this is Trisha, and I thought of another pet peeve that I really don't care for. Those darn kibitzers really piss me off. Tell me more about that. Kibitzer is Yiddish for a backseat driver. Oh, those are the worst. They are the worst. I mean, I guess I've probably kibitzed in my time, but... I mean, we all have. Yeah, I know. It's one of those, like, ones where you, you do do it yourself, but... It is annoying when others do it to you. So a little hip- hypocrisy. Yes, definitely. <laughs> well, welcome to Addicted to Murder, um, BTK, part three. He just keeps going and going and going and going like the Energizer Bunny. I don't know. I didn't think he would be this long, but. He has a lot to say. Yeah. And there's a lot for us to look at and pick apart. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So Courtney, why don't you give us this? No, I'm doing the social media today. Okay. Here we go. Addicted to M podcast on Instagram. Yes. That is by far, I think, our biggest platform um, Mm -hmm. where we like to interact. And um, Courtney and I love to either make memes or find fun memes. So, you know, just check us out. Um, Addicted to Murder podcast on Facebook Mm -hmm. and Addicted to Murder podcast on Twitter. And if you have any questions, comments, or anything like that, you can DM us or you can email us at at addictedtomurderpodcast at gmail.com. Yes, thank you. Nice job, Trisha. Thank you. <clears throat> so it is my turn then to do our question segment of the week. Courtney's question time. Yes. So um, my question for you, Trisha, is what is a food or foods that everybody seems to like but you don't? Sarah, you know what I'm going to say. Honey, um, I, I sort of get teased sometimes because it's just easier to say you're allergic to honey than explain to people that you just don't care for honey so that's what I do when I get teased for that oh interesting how about you I have a few I'll be honest um I don't like bananas I hate bananas I'll have to say I don't even like the smell of bananas yeah um I'm not a steak person Mm. never liked steak Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't eat a lot of meat anyway, but like... Milk steak is not for you then. No, nothing. Mm-hmm. My, my parents can attest to when they tried to feed me steak as a child and I would just like not eat it ever. Well... Um, or I would spit it out. Yeah. So fun facts. I just learned this yesterday. A banana is not really a fruit. It's like an herb. Really? I feel yeah. like I always thought it was like a kind of berry. It says, okay, bananas are both a fruit and not a fruit, but it's actually an herb distantly related to ginger. Since oh. the plant has a succulent tree stem instead of a wood one. Interesting. I mean. I like ginger. I, I, I mean, I, I like ginger in certain food and it's good for your tummy. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, yeah. So please don't send us any banana steaks or big honey. jars of honey. Yeah, well, Although, I'll eat the honey. Yeah, and I'll eat the banana and the steak. <laughs> <laughs> so if that was something that ever came our way. So. All right, good question. Yeah. Do you, uh, do you want to do a little bit of a recap for us? Yes. So we got through part two of BTK last time where we learned about his very intense love for all things bondage Mm -hmm. and we learned about him 
growing up and being experienced to some weird things Mm -hmm. related to bondage. We learned about him having some girlfriends and having some attachment issues with those girlfriends. Right. Um, And we left off right at the end um, after Dennis Rader's first murders Mm -hmm. of the Otero family. Yep. Um, so I'm going to just get back into, you know, right after he killed the four people, he thought it would just be mom and the two littles, but then dad was home and it was, uh, I'll just get right into it. Here we go. So Wichita police officers were called to the Otera house that afternoon when the three teenagers that were in school, so they had three other children, it was a big family. Um, they arrived home to find their mother and father murdered. And it wasn't until the police arrived that the younger deceased siblings were found. So Papa Joseph Otero was found bound with rope and a bag around his head. And one of the children, when they had gotten home, had cut the bag, hoping that there was still a chance that, you know, he could be alive, but it was too late. And Mrs. Otero was on the bed, and she was strangled um, with her ankles bound and her hands tied behind her back. And little Joseph Jr. was also found in a back bedroom with his hands and ankles bound with a cord from a Venetian blind and a a blind, yeah, and a pillowcase with two plastic bags and a T-shirt over his head. So, I mean, (laughs) a lot onto this kid. In a storage area of the basement, that's where they found little Josephine hung from a sewer pipe. She only had on a sweatshirt and socks. Her panties were around her ankles, and she was also bound with the Venetian blind cord. There was some semen found on Josephine's legs, and um, autopsy showed the cause of death to be slow strangulation for, like, all four of them. Um, remember, sometimes they were they revived themselves, or they came back, and then he would try again. And it wasn't because he was—he says it wasn't because he was trying to torture them. He said he was just bad at strangling people. He had no idea how hard it was. Mm-hmm. Um, so I—, I personally can't begin to imagine what these young children went through they came home to that scene I mean it's just it's heartbreaking um you know it's so frustrating that when these murderers kill it's not just the person that they kill it's everyone else that is in that person's life that are affected and it's just so extremely selfish um I don't know just makes me angry so Courtney yeah I think you're spot on about that Trisha you know often the family members of victims are kind of forgotten when Mm -hmm. telling the story about serial killers, but but they're victims too of the same crime, you know, and it would be absolutely traumatizing to find the bodies of your parents and siblings. Um, And I wouldn't be surprised if the three older Otero children experience PTSD because of that experience, you know, in addition to the grief and shock and sadness that they must have felt after losing four members of their family in the same day in such a really brutal way. Right. Totally wasn't, it wasn't a car wreck. It it was just totally, I don't know. I don't even know how to. Right. Yeah. And, you know, it would also be really normal if they experienced, you know, what we think of as survivor's guilt, Uh you know, like that feeling of like, why them Mm -hmm. and not me? If I had just stayed home from school, um, Right. It's hard yeah. to, to go on living. And they're orphans now. Yep. Thanks a lot, Dennis, you dick. Right. So, well, this is what Dennis said um, after killing Duoteros. 
This is a quote. My brain was on fire. He explained that it was extremely stressful and he had not anticipated this pressure in his head. So I guess his research into serial killers, because he did, you know, do a lot of research on trying to emulate people. Um, it didn't, his research didn't like tell him to expect feeling kind of shitty afterwards or stressed out or full of anxiety. Um, so he produced, uh, excuse me. He, after this, he proceeded to get rid of lots of the items that he thought might time to the murder all except his bloodstained parka. I think that, you know, he's, he wore that most of the time when he killed things or killed people. It was like his thing. Um, and then, Dennis started collecting newspaper clippings from the murders and he started to create what he calls um, hidey holes. And this is where he keeps his treasures, um, you know, where he would put his slick ads and then all of this stuff that he started to collect because he did take some stuff from the Oteros when he left. Right. So. Yeah. His trophies and media, mm-hmm. all sorts of things would be in these hidey holes. Yeah. And he had tons of them. Yeah. Dennis didn't wait long for his next escapade. He used his time on campus because now he um, he was at the community college, but now he's at Wichita State, I believe. Um, he used his time on campus at school for trolling for new victims. And when he honed in on one, he would then stalk them. He had a system. He spotted a pretty co-ed one day um, out during the day on a walk, and her name was Catherine Bright. He peeped through her windows and determined that she either lived alone or with a female roommate and that there was no dog. He didn't want to deal with a dog again. When Dennis actually decided to proceed with the project, because remember he calls his victims projects, and complete the hit, he broke into Catherine's house and waited for Catherine to come home. So as with the previous rampage that Dennis um, did, things did not go as planned. Catherine did come home, but she also came home with her brother. Um, so they both came in and encountered Dennis inside. Dennis used the same story he had used with the Otero family, claiming that he was a wanted man out of California who just wanted to rap, rob them and tie them up. Um, he said he was sick and, you know, mentally deranged, all this. Dennis claims he did this to calm them down. You know, if he, if they thought that he was just there to like rob them, um, then they wouldn't be as freaked out as if they thought he was there to kill them. So Dennis had forced Kevin at gunpoint to tie up Catherine. So he made his brother, made Catherine's brother tie her up. Right. Right. Um, and then he asked for money. He wrapped a stocking around Kevin's neck to choke him out after he had tied up Catherine. But then Kevin fought back. Kevin were fighting over the gun and Kevin got shot. And he didn't pass out, but he was on the ground um, fighting for his life. And Dennis had this to say, I went and started to strangle Catherine. We started fighting because her bonds weren't very good. And so back and forth we fought. I got the best of her and I thought she was going down. And then I could hear movement in the other room. So I went back to the other room where Kevin was at. And I tried to re-strangle him. He jumped up and we fought again. And he got the other pistol, my magnum, that was in my shoulder holster. We fought over it and I thought it was going to go off. I stuck my finger in there and jammed it. I think he thought that it was the only gun I had because I either bit his finger or him or something. I got away and used the 22 and shot him one more time. I tried a quick John Wayne Western shot. I didn't aim. I just grabbed it out of my parka pocket and fired towards his head. He immediately fell down. I believe I kicked him or tried to see if he was dead. I didn't really check for life signs. I hit him in the mouth, apparently knocking out his teeth. Kevin was able to get out of the house at this time. Um, he, he, knew that he just couldn't help Catherine in the state he was in. So he thought the best thing he could do is go get help, you know, from the police. So he, um, 
got up and after his second struggle with Dennis and was able to get out of the house. So then Dennis went back to Catherine and unsuccessfully strangled her again. And then when that didn't work, he used his hunting knife and began stabbing her. And he said, I had no intention of stabbing anyone, but it happened because I lost control. That created a mess of blood everywhere on my hands, pants, and shoes. When he realized Kevin had escaped, Dennis did a quick cleaning job and left. Catherine was still alive at this at this point, but she was in terrible shape. He did grab her license on the way out of the house and ran haphazardly to his car. He had cut himself on glass and he was bleeding. He got home, cleaned himself up as best as he could, and disposed of his clothes. Catherine would pass away soon after the police arrived. Um, basically, she was only able to say her name when they asked who she was. Kevin was in critical condition but survived. Okay, Courtney, he, uh, this is just another terrible... Um, and Well, it's Dennis. What do you have to say about this? Uh, I mean, this murder scene seems to kind of sum up a lot about Dennis's experience as a serial killer. You know, he would make these grand plans, but always fail to account for one or more variables that would kind of mm-hmm. necessitate the need to change them. Um, and so that leads to sort of this like mad scramble to regain control and he had to improvise and, you know, he just didn't have a whole lot of skill, mm-hmm. especially yet. Um, and yet at the same time, there's also this piece that is indicative of how big his ego was that despite all of these mistakes and the chaos, he still compares himself to John Wayne. <laughs> oh, I didn't even notice that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I would have thought, especially after his first murder, murders, that um, when Catherine came home with her brother, he might have just left and said, okay, this isn't going the way it is. But he just proceeded anyways. It was like he was pot committed. Right. Or shifted gears and actually just robbed them and right. then left. Yeah. Oh, well. Dennis saw on the news that Kevin survived, and Kevin gave the description of his attacker as someone who sweats a lot. Dennis admits that he still sweats when he is under stress, but he does sweat less than when he first started. So, Courtney, what do you think this says about Dennis? Usually, don't those with sociopathy or psychopathy not sweat under pressure? Isn't that sort of what sets them apart, that they don't get unnerved by the things that they do? He also was extremely stressed out after the Otero murders. Yeah, so there is some truth um, to that idea that psychopaths, they just don't experience anxiety and fear in the same way that most people do. Um, And so they often don't experience those emotions with the same triggers, right? So a lot of the other killers we've talked about, like they weren't really anxious or stressed out while they were murdering people. They just did it. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, when someone, even someone who is a psychopath is triggered for an emotion like that, you know, it's, it's not possible to just turn off those like automatic physical things that happen um, when that like fight or flight response, you know, is turned on. So, you know, things like sweating, increased heart rate, et cetera, they just, they just happen. They're Mm -hmm. beyond someone's control. Um, and in this case, for Dennis, he was clearly stressed with the murder not going t- according to plan. So naturally, that would trigger some biological responses. Um, and, you know, not to mention, Dennis was physically working really hard in this situation. You know, he's wearing a parka mm-hmm. indoors, and he's wrestling with Kevin and running between the rooms and fighting with Catherine. 
you know, so he may also just have been in poor shape and was sweating from all the physical exertion. Okay. And well, Kevin also provided a decent description of Dennis um, to the police. And Dennis actually thought the sketch on the news looked a lot like him. So that made him stressed out even more, but he was never brought in for questioning. So the, the police also did not link the Otero murders to this murder. They thought the MO was too different to be the same person. So the police are thinking that these are two different people committing these crimes, right? Right. Two separate, probably Mm -hmm. one-off killers. So that summer, Raider Dennis was still unemployed, and he found more projects for potential hits. He broke into some houses and attempted to kidnap one co-ed, but she ended up living with her parents, and then another woman that he called Project Milo, but she had a husband, and there just were too many males living in that house, so he gave up on that one as well. So I feel like he's maybe learning from his mistakes a little bit, you know? Yeah, trying to be a little bit more... (laughs) Cautious and thoughtful. Um, Several men in the community at this time who were either in jail or, you know, wherever, um, they hinted that they might be the killer. It made news stories um, that Dennis read that there were these people claiming to be the killer. And this really made Dennis upset. He wanted the credit. Um, As we know, these narcissistic types need that credit. But he knew that if he came out and said he had done it, then he would be getting in trouble. So, you know, he wasn't sure what to do. So this is what he did. On uh, October 22nd, 1974, Dennis called a columnist, columnist at the Wichita Eagle, and he put on a Midwestern accent. So I'm, I'm thinking, like, you know, North Dakota. Um, and he told the columnist to go to the library and find a book called Applied Engineering Mechanics. So in that book, Dennis had placed a letter. And here are some parts of the letter. These are quotes from the letter. Those three dudes you have in custody are just talking to get publicity. They know nothing at all. I did it by myself and with no one's help. The letter then described the crime scene with details only someone at the crime would know. Um, And then it says, I'm sorry this happened to society. It hard to control myself. You probably call me psychotic with sexual perversion hang up. Where this monster entered my brain, I will never know, but it here to stay. How does one cure himself? If you ask for help that you have killed four people, they will laugh or hit the panic button and call the cops. I can't stop it, so the monster goes on and hurt me as well as society. He then goes on a bit more about how his victims, um, or how he has victims lined up, and then closes the letter with, Yours truly, guiltily. P.S. Since sex criminals don't change their M.O. or by nature cannot do so, I will not change mine. The code words for me will be, bind them, torture them, kill them. B.T.K. You see, he added again. They will be on the next victim. So um, Dennis says that he wrote this letter in that broken-ish English to throw off the cops. I don't know, though. Um, So Courtney, Dennis needed the attention for those crimes. Is this a sign of narcissism. Also, he gave himself his own nickname, which is lame AF. I mean, serial killers get their monikers, or as he calls it, minotaur names, from the news media or police based on crime scenes, etc. You don't give yourself a nickname. That's not how nicknames are earned. Agreed. Um, And, you know, Dennis is almost like a textbook presentation of a narcissist. 
you know, he clearly needed the recognition of what he thought is of as his, you know, special gifts and talent for murder. Um, and he would experience really strong jealousy if he felt like he wasn't given that credit. You know, his entire sort of self-esteem and self-worth was tied up in this image of himself as this, like, mastermind serial killer, which was, of course, horribly inflated and grandiose, um, with what he was actually doing. And I think it's also a little bit why he used mythical figures like the Minotaur to sort of refer to himself because he wanted to be thought of and remembered in that kind of same way as like a legend. Um, craved the attention and accolades that he saw other serial killers like Ted Bundy, Son of Sam, the Night Stalker, getting from the media and law enforcement. And he partially attributed his not getting that attention to not having a cool nickname like some of the others. Um, but it just wasn't happening naturally with the media because he just wasn't very consistent. Ted Bundy's nickname, what was it? He had one, but he was also just so Ted Bundy. He's just Ted Bundy. I can't remember what it was, though. I mean, Ed Kempers was the co-ed killer, mm -hmm. right? Um, son of Sam. David Berkowitz. Um, I think he was something strangler. Oh, maybe. maybe. Okay. Yeah. But still, I mean, he was already so infamous, you know. Right. Like, so it didn't matter. Okay. So thank you for that, Courtney. All of these murders caused people to up their game, and a lot of them started installing security systems. So Dennis decided this would be a good market to get into. So he got himself a job at ADT. This job afforded him opportunities to be out of town a lot. So that was that worked for him in his favor. He worked um, at ADT during the day and was still going to school in the evening. Paula worked, and they both were active in the youth church as youth leaders. They were both pretty busy um, as a young couple, it seems like. Dennis did see a response in the WAD ads to his BTK letter. It, also, it said, help is available, and there was a number to call, but Dennis did not fall for that. So... The police were trying to reach out to BTK, um, and that was how they did it. They put a little want ad saying, help is available, please call. Because he did say, you know, in his letter that he wanted help. Which I was going to ask you, do you think that's bullshit? Yeah, Dennis did not want help. Okay. Um, he did not want to stop killing. And I think using the idea of asking for help or a cure was more of a way of communicating with police that he was, you know, a dangerous killer who would never be able to stop. So they should take him seriously and be afraid. Gotcha. So this is a crazy random thing that happened at this time. <laughs> this is talk about coincidence. Dennis was in one of his classes on campus, and they had a guest speaker that day who was a forensic pathologist. His name was Dr. William Eckert. And this forensic pathologist had actually done the autopsies on the Oteros. So Dennis was in his class. And I can only imagine the thrill he had when this happened, how coincidental and how great for that ego of his. What do you think? Absolutely. Um, and I think we should note, too, Dennis was studying, like, criminal justice administration. So he was, you know, wanting to get into law enforcement mm -hmm. as a career. Which they all seem to want to do. I, I, a lot of them do. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yes. But in terms of just his schooling, I am sure that Dennis just loved that day so much. You know, not only would it feed his narcissism by kind of proving that he was a great killer who had escaped and fooled this man who was now supposed to be teaching him, um, but 
if those autopsies were discussed at all during the talk, and I don't know if they were, um, but it would provide a chance to, like, relive the murders. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sort of like um, when Ted would put that those uh, police officers on the stand at his trial and make them re like tell about the crime scene so that he could, you know, bathe in the the narcissism of whatever. I don't know. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. Yeah, I do know what you're saying. <laughs> Sorry, my brain's a little scrambled today. I apologize, people. <laughs> um, so during the late part of 1974, Paula became pregnant. Both Dennis and Paula were very excited by this news. Dennis was able to cube or car- compartmentalize. He calls it cubing his life and he said he really did enjoy being a husband and he really did enjoy being a father and he really did enjoy being a killer so their son brian was born on july 26 1975 and at this time paula's 26 and dennis is 29 um courtney do you think that dennis really could enjoy all three of those things i think so yeah Mm -hmm. okay um dennis feels that the number three is very important in his life He writes about patterns pertaining to threes or multiples of threes, and he chose a day in March in 1977 because March is the third month for his next hit. Dennis chose Shirley Vian, or Vian, V-I-A-N, at random that day. She was his second choice, as his first choice, Project Green, was not at home. He followed a young boy home from Dillon's, which I'm assuming is a department store in Kansas. Um, I don't, we don't have those out here. Um, and he figured by following this little boy that he would go home to a mom. So when he knocked on the house that the boy went into, he presented himself as a school detected, detective looking for some people. He had like made some fake IDs or whatever to do this. He then forced himself into the house past the two young boys that answered the door and at this time Shirley came out like what's going on she heard this noise and she was just dressed in a robe and slippers uh, I think she was sick homesick that day and Dennis told her quote I told her I had a problem with sexual fantasies and I was going to tie her up I pulled down the blinds and turned off the tv I said that I would tie up the kids first they would be okay if she would cooperate with me she was extremely nervous I think she even smoked a cigarette We went back to one of the back areas of the porch. She was upset. I explained that I had done this before. I tried to tie one of the kids, but he started to cry. The kids got really upset. I said, this is not going to work. I was frustrated. I decided to put the kids in the bathroom and shut the door. We put toys and blankets in there for them. Uh, Mrs. Vian helped me. She told the kids to do whatever I said. I tied the door shut, but the kids were still yelling. She helped me to shove a bed against the door. Then I proceeded to tie her up. At that point, she vomited. I think me being there had made it worse. What do you think? Duh, Dennis. (laughs) I went on ahead and taped her hands behind her back. I tied her legs to the bedpost and worked the rope all the way up. When I had left, what I had left over, I looped around her neck. I put a bag over her head and strangled her. The phone rang at some point and that prompted Dennis to leave. So, Courtney, what do you think? Dennis picks victims with kids or possible partners at home. It just seems bizarre considering he has always gone awry or things have always gone awry this far. Also, Dennis does not sexually assault his victims, um, which is different than what we've seen. Do you have anything you want to say about that? I'd say I don't think that Dennis is intentionally targeting families. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's just really unlucky that there happened to be unexpected family members at the homes of the women he was targeting. You know, he didn't expect Mr. Otero to be home um, or for Kevin to be there at Catherine's. And he wasn't intending to target Shirley. 
you know, she was, he was actually stalking her neighbor who right. wasn't home. Um, and so as for not assaulting his victims, I think that's a clear delineation that Dennis himself made. I think at one point saying, I'm not a rapist, I'm just a murderer. Um, quote, just a murderer. Right. Of course, <laughs> you know. Uh, but for him, the act of binding and killing his victims are what was sexually arousing to him. And he had no problem masturbating at these scenes. So he just didn't need to have sexual contact with the victims in order to get that that release that he needed. Yeah, he was definitely... I'm trying to think back. All of the people besides maybe Willie Picton that we've covered so far were ne- necrophiles, right? Like, And he's definitely not... Definitely I mean, not. He's, he's definitely different. So, yeah. Um, anyhow, just a side thought, you know. Dennis reflected after this crime that he was still way too unorganized, and he was not proud of himself. So he set his sights high. There were many killers he admired and wanted to emulate, but thus far he just had been adult and terrible at his crimes. How the hell did it take them so long to catch this dingus? Dumb luck. I guess. <laughs> Dennis has a new project in the works, or had a new project in his work in the works after he bumbled the last attempt. This one he called PJ Fox. Um, he also called his projects PJ's. Whatever. I think it's like a abbreviation for project. Yeah. That's too long of a word. Project PJ. It's the same amount of syllables, but that's fine. Uh, Here's a quote. When I was trolling the area, I noticed her go into the house one night. In the trolling stage, you're looking for a victim, and you can be trolling for months or years. Once you lock in on a certain person, that's the stalking phase. You might have several of them at once, but you really hone in on a person who's going to be the hit. This is how Dennis stalked his victims. He, uh, This particular victim, he looked into her mailbox to find out her name and learned what he could through her mail. He then figured out where she worked. He watched her house and neighborhood and determined that she had no dogs or roommates. He also figured out her work routine so he knew when she would be home. On the day he chose to make his hit, he went uh, when Nancy Fox, the victim, uh, the PJ, would be at work. He chose a day that had something to do with the number three. He went around back cut the phone line, and used his glass cutter to break into the house. So Dennis had been practicing with this glass cutter most of 1977 to perfect, you know, his system. When Nancy came home, she was understandably startled by a stranger in her her house. Dennis told her a similar story as he had to the others he murdered. Uh, He was a traveler with a sexual problem, and he just wanted sex or money, you know, whatever it was he said that day. After they chit-chatted, and he went through her purse, and she smoked a cigarette, She said something incredibly stupid, I think. Um, But, you know, I wasn't there. So she said, well, let's get this over with so I can call the police. Now, Dennis said that her saying this nailed her coffin shut. Um, But unless he blundered again, he was going to kill her anyways, don't you think? Oh, yeah, he would have killed her no matter what. That was the plan. Yeah, maybe she just knew that, so she was just kind of whatever, dude. After she used the restroom, Dennis cuffed her hands behind her back, laid her on the bed, and tied her feet and gagged her. He got up on top of her and strangled her with a belt. Nancy did not die at first, of course, and Dennis revived her and he whispered weird shit in her ear, bragged that he was BTK, etc. Nancy, to her credit, did fight back and grabbed Dennis by the balls and squeezed really hard, which you would think normally would get your attacker off you, but no. 
Dennis, because of his love for bondage and all of his other sicknesses, it actually excited him more when she did that. He then exchanged the belts that he was using for pantyhose and removed the cuffs and tied them with and tied her arms with the pantyhose as well. He then masturbated on her nightgown. He rifled through more of her stuff, took some feminine undergardens, turned up the heat, got a glass of water, and then left. The next day, Dennis called the cops from a payphone and reported what he had done. He could not wait for the excitement of his accomplishments to make the news, so he risked getting caught by calling the police himself. He said this, quote, Yes, you will find a homicide at 843 South Pershing, Nancy Fox, end quote. Courtney? You know, I think that Nancy's murder led Dennis to develop an even greater level of confidence and and grandiosity because, you know, for once, it actually went according to plan. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the experience finally came close to what he had been fantasizing about for so long. Um, And so it was probably a different level of, like, satisfaction and sexual release for him. And so kind of because of this new confidence and having not been caught and sending in that first letter to police, you know, Dennis was emboldened to take more risk. And there's this term called uh, narcissistic immunity, uh, which refers to sort of the common belief amongst narcissists that um, they will never have to face the consequences of their actions because they are in some way immune from consequences. Um, and as we'll see with Dennis, this will come up again and again, kind of as the years go on. Mm. Well, um, that's where we're going to end today. So like I said at the beginning, we weren't even sure we'd get two parts out of Dennis, but we're getting four because it just that book that I read or read that you read is a great book. Um, there's so much details that, and every time I find something that I want to talk about, you know, I flag it with a tag and it's just, there's so many little flag tags in that book. So it's just going, it keeps going. Yes. But I promise next time, part four, that's the end. Yes. That's I Yes. That's the end. I'm not going to give this asshole any more of our time. Right. And I mean, he he does not deserve, more episodes than Ted Bundy. That's true. I agree. Yes, stupid Dennis. Anyways, thank you for listening. Thank you for liking, for following, subscribing. All of that stuff means a lot to us. We did hit 2,000 hits, over 2,000 hits um, earlier this week. So, or downloads, I guess. <laughs> I'm not going to use the, the Dennis word. <laughs> so that is awesome. We love it. We love that you guys like us. So, um, you know, it strokes our narcissistic egos. Yes, it does. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, you guys have a great day and see you next Tuesday. Bye. Bye.